זוכים הבאים בשם השם ורחנוכם מבייס השם Welcome to our Wednesday night weekly shir and we mean weekly This week's shir Pashas Yisroi Seres Hadibris Ten Commandments and more so Shalom, welcome this week's shir is on Tu Bishvat as we mentioned Rishchei Shvat we embark on a special day every 15 days. Tu B'Shvat, Leibish. Tu B'Shvat. Shkhele Shvat goes to Tu B'Shvat. Take it again. Goes to Tu B'Shvat, Tu B'Shvat. Shkhele Shvat. Purim Katan. Shkhele Shvat. Shkhele Purim. Shkhele Shvat. Pesach, etc. We go every 15 days to a special occasion. Asheinu Yisro, Asheichem, Asheinu Matev Chalkeinu. How wonderful, how beautiful is our portion. Or as we sing in Yiddish, Oyvi Gutz Zainayid. Tonight in our household, we had 15 fruits. We have our traditional Tubishvat Seder with the 15 fruits, uh, 15 different types. Some could be nuts, some could be fruit. They all come from a tree, they're all derivatives from a tree, a Beripia eight, the Bracha. Um, As we said, Pashas Yisrael. Hey, I'm calling you. Pashas Yisrael. The Ten Commandments, the Sadhus Hadibris. How ironic is that? The Ten Commandments, Sadhus Hadibris. The most, the holiest portion of our Torah, technically, and the name of the Torah portion, Yisrael. Who was Yisrael? Out of all people in the world, Yisrael. What is going on here? So the Torah tells us, "Ato yedaiti ki Godl Hashem mikol ha'alekim." 
the meaning of the parsha. Yisrael accepts. Yisrael welcomes. Yisrael embraces Judaism and the Jewish nation. And says, Ata Yedaiti, now I know. Ki God God is greater than any other God. Now, <laughs> who was Yisrael actually? Yisrael was a maven. He knew what other gods were because Yisrael himself. Uh, this is getting difficult. Yisrael himself was a priest. And. Yisrael himself was a priest for almost every different idol worship that was available. He brought sacrifices to everything. And now all of a sudden, to say, now I know, that God is greater than any other God. The Zohar HaKadosh tells us only after Yisrael's confession that God Lashem was the Torah able to be given to the Jews. How powerful. How mind-boggling. Yisrael was our face on on the gift. He was our poster man for accepting the Torah. Yisrael represented Sitra Akhra the Yusatra Smolot. The Zaya says Yisrael represented the extreme left the extreme opposite of spirituality of Kedusha. Anything not holy was Yisrael. <coughs> the fact that he confesses now the greatness of God, that opened the channel that the tailor could be given. According to this, we can explain also why our Sedra is called Yisrael. Because since it's talking about the mountain Tera, the receiving of the Tera, we see now a connection. That since the Tera was only given after Yisrael's confession of his greatness, that's why the the portion is called. And this is today as well. When a Jew wants the merit to accept Torah the way it should be, it's not enough that his soul in the Shammah Kedesha which the soul itself wants to accept and wants to connect to God. 
the person has to see to it his body wants to actually do mitzvahs and do and be part of God. <coughs> the physical things that the person involves themselves with should want to be one with God. He should want to unite these things with God. And to learn Tatus so that he should understand it properly. Only after the physical body is then toned and tuned in and nurtured and brought into such a level of spirituality, the concept of Yisra in each and every Jew, when that Yisra is made, confesses to the greatness of God and wants to accept the will of God, then the Jew becomes a vessel for Kabbalah Satayra, for the acceptance of Tayra. You know, we explain many times that Rashi only wants to say the simple explanation of the Pasuk and the Tayra. Before I tell this, explain a certain contradiction that Rashi gives, I need to tell a story that, of course, funny thing happened on the way here today. No, a story that was sent to me via no more, no less WhatsApp. Do credit where credit is due. Now, you want to tell a joke today, you ask the person first if he has WhatsApp. If he has WhatsApp, you don't try to tell the joke. Because you know you heard it already. Um, many years ago, a mohel, a fellow that does ritual circumcisions on an eighth day, got a phone call and he hears a woman she says Shalom he's in Tel Aviv mind you she says are you available tomorrow morning for 7.30 for a bris he says uh, actually yes uh, we live in Cholon And I know that you, uh, in the Jewish people, you know, when you make up a time, you usually allot yourself another half hour before or after. Just put on my button. Thank you. Boredom is a very serious situation. Um, but I need you to be exact. 7.30 exactly. And he said, okay, I'll be on time. Family name is Golan. This and this is our address. Please, you must be here at 7.30. He said, okay. She hung up the phone. The mail wrote everything down. Immediately after Shachar's the next morning, he grabbed a cab. It said about 20 minutes from where he was. He gets to the address, it's not a hall, it's not a shul, it's a house. 
He goes up the steps, it says family Golan. He knocks on the door. And the missus is there. She says shalom. She says shalom to him. Thank you. Uh, listen, she says, my husband left already. He is late. I'm leaving in a few minutes. You just do the bris on uh, on our son, uh, Yuvli. They already gave him a name. You just go to the bris and uh, the, uh, the caretaker will be here soon. So uh, just do your thing. And he's a little... No minion, no, 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 nobody else here except for me and the baby. The husband, the father left also. He's not going to be able to make his bracha. Very, very awkward. He says he came into the room. There was the baby sleeping peacefully. Turned the baby over, woke him up gently. And the mother said, okay, I have to leave now. But uh, the lady will be here soon, don't worry about it. You can leave him with the, ba- with the lady. Now by a bris, there's different honors. There's Kisei of Eliyahu, the chair of Elijah the prophet. The couple that brings in the baby. Kvata. On and on and on, there's different honors that are given. The sandik that holds the baby by the bris which is a great, great honor. Then there's the Sandik Mu'umar who holds the baby when the baby's name is given in the Sandik, and then the person that gives the name. So many different things, and here he's all alone. Oh well. He could be the Sandik and the Moyal at the same time. He has no problem. He's, a, he's an expert. Not the ideal thing to do, and not the ideal thing for a person, for a child, but this is how it works. He sits down on the chair. He takes the baby on his lap and he starts to cry. And he starts to cry bitter tears. And he says... What hope is there for this child? What upbringing will this child ever have? What will he know of Yiddishkeit? Not to be embarrassed from his friends, the fact that he has a bris. And I cried, and I cried, and he cried to the mill. And here I am, the Sandik, holding the baby, and I'm crying over the bitter exile, crying over this child's future, crying over whatever. I'm praying and praying for this child. I finally made his bris. Half hour later, everything was done and finished. I just couldn't stop crying. And that was it. The lady Taka came right away. I left and there was nothing to talk about afterwards. He says, I came home 
And I told this to my family. This, this experience that I just went through. This child, this bris, this, this all along, it was just horrific. Twelve years later, twelve years later, he gets a visit in his office. A woman and her son, a nice looking little boy, and the woman says, do you, re- do you recognize me? And he's, she's, he's obviously said, no. She says, I'm Mrs. Golan, Golan from Cholon. Don't you remember you did a bris almost 13 years ago for our son, Yuvli? And I left you until the, uh, the woman came, came in with the baby. He started to remember now. And he says to her, she says to him, my son needs help. He says, what's the matter? He says, it's a while already, he was, keeps going on and on, he wants to meet his moil. I don't know why all of a sudden, He wants to speak to the rabbi himself. So the mother goes out, and there's Yuvli with the mohel, and he starts to cry. And he says, I want Tvilin, I want Shabbos, I want kosher, I want to learn Teda. The mohel says, I jumped up. I hugged this child. I can't believe this. I said, what's the problem? It's the problem. My parents are the problem. They don't let. So he calls in the mother and he says to the mother, what's going on? And she says, listen, we took him to all different doctors, psychiatrists, psychologists. And nobody can figure out what's wrong with him. We have to do what's best for our child. All he wants to do is study Torah. He cracked up. Once again I sat there crying like a baby. But this time out of happiness, out of joy. Apparently not only he says, was I crying by that bris, but so was Elio Anavi. And so, the prayers actually, the tears actually reached to the right place to an extent that this child wanted Terah and mitzvahs more than anything else in the world. Reverting, going back to the talking about the Pasha, we still have to talk about Tubishvat. We told you that Rashi doesn't like to confuse the Mechamesh the Mikra. 
He likes that five-year-old boy to know exactly what the Torah is telling us. So when the Torah says, Vayichan Shom Yisrael that the Jews sat there by the mountain, and knowing that there was an entire Jewish nation there, it wasn't one Jew, Vayichan, it should say Vayachanu, plural. So Rashi knows that the Benchomesh the Mikra will be very confused. Why does it say singular rather than plural? And Rashi explains, Ki'ish Echod, there's one person with one heart. <laughs> now I'd like to remind you, the Benchamish the Mikra The Benchamish the Mikra has a very good memory. Now it's very possible for us adults to have forgotten this. But the Mechamesh Mikra doesn't. He's relentless. When he sees now a singular situation that should have been plural, if you're looking for it, it's chapter 19, verse 2. The Rashi. But immediately the Mechamesh the Mikra turns back his Chumash last week's Pasha to chapter 14, verse 10. And in chapter 14, verse 10, the Torah tells us, V'hine Mitzrayim Mitzrayim was chasing the Jews. It should say Mitzrayim, plural, not Mitzrayim, singular. So Rashi understands the Bechamesh, the Mikra is confused. So look at what Rashi tells the Bechamesh, the Mikra. Why does it say Mitzrayim Belev Echod Ki'ish Echod? One heart as one person. But now look back at what he explains here in our Pasha. He tells the Bechamesh, the Mikra Ki'ish Echod. Believe Echad. Now the truth is that we don't get so, you know, unless you're OCD, it's not going to really affect you much. But if you're OCD, which I am, sorry, um, Baruch Shem, there's no meds for that. <laughs> I had a, uh, an issue in shul. The parechas, in the front of the main shul of 770, the cover, the, the curtain, um, is on rings. They have rings holding the the brachas. And for my mazel, they had to do this. All the rings were facing in one direction, except for one ring. One ring is. I could not daven. I could not sit in shul. It drove me berserk. I would sit there, I'd sit, my eyes closed, and try to look into the Siddha to the Chumash, and all of a sudden I found myself staring at the ring, going in the opposite direction. So yes, OCD is a horrific situation. So when Rashi goes and reverts this way, <coughs> and says that singular, in verses plural, the reason is, because, Belev Echod Kiish Echod, and in another place, by us it says, 
it disturbs me greatly and the Mechamish the Mikra as well. But there's an explanation, says the Rebbe. When Mitzrayim, the average Egyptian, hated the fellow Egyptian, there was no peace amongst the Egyptians. From Parei Melech Mitzrayim till the stargazers until whoever it was. There's one place they united. Hate the Jew. There everyone was on equal plane. There everyone agreed. There everyone came to terms with. There everyone was in arm in arm in harmony. So when Egyptians came to chase the Jews, Mitzrayim singular, says Rashi, believe Echod with one heart to kill a Jew. Kish Echod. The only reason they were Ish Echod was because they had one agenda and their hearts were all set anti-Semitically ready to kill the Jews. Masha'en Kain when the Jews. When Jews sit together, he named Mato Yvimanoyim Sheves Achim Gam Yochad. How beautiful, says King David. In verse 131, 133, excuse me. Not verse, chapter. Hine Mato Yvimanoyim In the psalm. Because Jews are united. So when the Am Yisrael Chai in one nation, we refer to them, we say Ish Echod, and also Leiv Echod. First came the concept of Ish Echod, they were all one, they were united, and through this was Leiv Echod. They all wanted the yearning for accepting Tera. Similarly, we see later the pos- we look at the actual Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments begin And the Almighty spoke these words, saying, tells us the Mechilto. Midlame, this comes to teach us, when they had to say yes, they said yes. When they had to say no, they said no. Divrei Rabbi Yishmael, so says Rabbi Yishmael. Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva argues and says, Alhein hein v'alav hein. When they had to say yes, for the yes, positive, they said yes. And for the negative, they said yes. Chassidus explains this argument. In the mitzvahs of Tera, there are two sub-factors. Firstly, 
the way a person completes mitzvahs. By doing it and completing the want, the request, the yearning of God. Like all the brachas on the mitzvahs tell us, Asher kidishonu b'mitzvahsav v'tzivonu. You sanctified us and you've brought us together and you commanded us. So that's why I'm doing the mitzvah. That's the first reason. Another concept of mitzvah is that through doing this mitzvah I know that I am elevating, I am purifying part of my soul, part of my body as we said before. And the Zayra Kodesh says that the 248 mitzvahs are say positive commandments are congruent to the 248 parts, limbs of the body by a man. And the 365 negative commandments are for the 365 sinews of the person. And therefore each and every mitzvah purifies an organ, a vein, a sinew of our body. So when it comes to purifying a person through doing a mitzvah, there's a difference by doing a positive commandment or refraining from a negative. The mitzvahs are saying, the idea of a positive commandment, through doing them we are elevating, we are purifying every organ that is connected to this particular mitzvah. However, when it comes to a negative commandment that we refrain from, because it is prohibited to us, and therefore we refrain from bad. We don't want to affect negatively the parts of the body and the soul. But when it comes to doing something for the want of God, because God requested this, all mitzvahs are equal. When you're Makayim, it's say, or when you're not doing a mitzvah's leisasei. The both of them have the same venue, which is doing God's will. This is therefore the argument, not the argument, the dispute between Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Akiva. According to Rabbi Ishmael, he sees the Jews' mitzvah, Matan Teda, and Teda mitzvahs, the Jews see, Matan Teda, Teda mitzvahs, that this elevates and purifies <coughs> the person. And therefore, when it came to a positive, they said positive, they responded positively, and when it came to negative, they said, no, we won't do it. Because they saw the good in the mitzvah, that it purifies and elevates the person. And they saw the bad of the mitzvah's leisah, say of the negative, and therefore they refrained. But according to Rabbi Akiva, he holds that both the mitzvah say and the leisah say are both who say yes, that this is how we're going to act. Because during the receiving of the tater, the person felt that the foundation and the essence, the essence of the mitzvah is prepared and only to serve God. 
in any which way, form or fashion. Whether it's to do a mitzvah positive or to refrain from negative, I'm doing it to be one with God. I'm not doing it to make me a better person, to change me or to change my personality. And this was the sheet of Rabbi Akiva always. Of the called the Ovid Rachman and the Tav Ovid. When the end of the Mesechtas Makis, the end of the Mesechtas Seita, the end of the Mesechtas Makis, sorry, the end of the Mesechtas Makis, the Gemara tells us how the sages were walking with Rabbi Akiva and they saw the destruction of the temple. And they cried and Akiva laughed. And the conversation, the dialogue that goes between the sages and Rabbi Akiva, the outcome is that Rabbi Akiva had Lashita Soi, according to his opinion and way of life, was called over the Rahman al-Tab Ovid, whatever God does is for good. Not it will also become good, but rather it is good in essence. So therefore the positive commandment or the negative commandment are all good because they are connecting us directly with God. The most of all the Ten Commandments, <laughs> which is the hardest one? I got a call this morning from somebody in Manhattan that listens to the year apparently. And he says to me that he got a message today from some Chabad website, from Chabad email, saying that the hardest of the commandments is Leisachmoid, don't covet. And he, the order that it says there is your house, your wife, the house, the wife, and the field. And he couldn't understand why the house has priority over the wife. I said to him very simply, we're not talking about you shouldn't do something to your own house, own wife, own field. When it comes to looking at somebody else's house, the first thing you see is their house. You don't see their wife before you see their house. You see they have a beautiful, glamorous, glorious house. You say, oh, I would love a house like that. That's for the tater, the first thing the tater tells about the house. And then, etc. A fellow came to shul once Arab Shabbos. And he saw, he realized he had a hundred dollar bill in his pocket. It's Shabbos almost. He wasn't going to do the hundred, it's going to lose it. He realized, he opened the Chumash Taseres Adibris to the Ten Commandments. And by the Pasuk, thou shalt not steal, he placed his hundred dollar bill. Surely anyone that will open the Chumash even though they'll see the hundred dollars, but they'll see the posuk telling them, Lay signal if thou shalt not steal, and they'll leave it there. Well, my friends, it takes a Yiddish cup to outsmart a Yiddish cup. Because on Saturday night after Mairev, he went to take this Chumash, and he opened it to the place, Lay signal if it was not there. And he continued flicking through the pages he found by the posuk of Vyahafta. Love your fellow Jew as you love yourself. He found fifty dollars. <laughs> you have to share. 
Thou shalt not get caught. I mean, you should not steal. A famous story. A little city called Lipnik. There was a Jew, Yosel, a peddler, Nebuchadnezzar on him. And his wife was relentless. She could not live this poverty-stricken life. She continually pestered him. We need to have food. We need to support the children. He also said, okay, I'm going out on the road now. I'm sure that Elijah the prophet will provide. He will bless us that the Almighty should provide. And he sets out to the road. And as he gets on the road, the mail wagon, post wagon, rides by, and two envelopes fall off the wagon. He also walks over and he sees one of them is a plain envelope, a letter, and the other one is marked on it 30,000 ruble to be delivered to the squire. It was a thick envelope. The Yiddish cub started to work extra, extra quick. He stuffed the thick envelope into his coat and he started to scream to the mail wagon, Wait, stop, you dropped this. He figures... By looking like an honest guy, returning an envelope, he obviously is not going to be suspected that he stole the other one. And the mailman was very happy, he took back this envelope that he gave him, and he went home. He also comes home, and his wife says, Wow, what are you doing home so quickly? He says, I told you he'd be blessed with money. He takes out and shows her the money. She says, are you Meshige? Are you nuts? You became a robber now? A thief? He also said, listen, when it comes to money, you got to know how to rationalize. First of all, he says, the guy it's going to is not a yid. Secondly, he won't lose the money because when the post office doesn't deliver his money <coughs> they will come and claim an insurance claim and the insurance will pay the money. So he's going to get his money back. So what do you calm down? Look, Yossel, it doesn't go that way. It's not yours. you got to give it back. He also says, listen, don't worry about it. It's going to work out. And he took the money, he moved away the dresser, took up a floorboard, he put the money into the floor, covered it up again and put back the dresser. She says to him, listen, genius, the male person knows you took one of the envelopes and gave it back to him. He's going to figure out right away that you had something to do with this one. And so, it didn't work. He didn't want to hear about it. The next morning, the police, the guards, and the postman were at his door. 
And they questioned him back and forth, and he done nothing. I gave you the envelope I found. And they searched the house, and there was nothing to be found. Who thought to tear up the floor? Then the postman said, listen, officer, he gave me back one envelope. He's an honest guy. If he wanted to keep, would he kept both envelopes? Maybe he only had one envelope, Taka, that's all he found. Policeman blew up and says, aha, you're in cahoots. You want to work together here? You're both going to jail. So Yosela and the postman was taken to jail. Oy Nebuch, everybody had a son of Yaakov. Everybody was davening in the shuls, and everybody was saying, till him for poor innocent Yosela, who was suffering from this program, pogrom. And they sent food and money for his wife, his children. The postal authorities put a reward of 500 gold ruble for anyone who returns this envelope. Needless to say, the woman couldn't do that. Because if the wife would return the envelope, they would say right away, aha, this is his wife, he, she had it. She decided she's going to go to the Baruch Frankel Tomim, the father-in-law of the future of Chaim of Tzans, and she was going to give him the money and let him take care of it for her. When she came to the she tore up the floorboard, she took the money, she came to his shul, and she saw him giving a shear, he was giving a lesson. And there were many people there, and she couldn't walk in and tell him the story. But she didn't want to carry this another minute, she threw it into the window, and she ran away. No, Hidrav looks down, and he sees 30,000 marks written on it, and he says, Oya Brach. Now what do I do? If I give this back, they're going to start right away anti-Semitism, that the Jews wanted to steal it, and that they gave it back now because they got caught. I'm only going to be in trouble. In the meantime, he locked his money in his drawer. He said, let me go for a walk to air out my brain. Think it through. He walked a block and then he says, Yo, If they come searching my house and they find it locked in my drawer, they're going to think I took it. He ran home, he took it out of the drawer, he put it back on the floor where, it was, where he found it. And he went for a walk. At the outskirts of the town, he met the priest, also going for a walk. And he says to him, the priest saw the rabbi and he knew he was a special man. He saw the rabbi was troubled. The priest said, what's wrong? He says, I'll tell you. If someone comes to you for confession, does it remain between you and him? He says, yes. You never divulge it? He says, no. 
Can a person be from another faith to give a confession? He says, sure. Um, I want to give you a confession, but not in your house of worship. Can we do it in your house? He says, sure. He doesn't need a special chair. He says, I have a special chair in the house also. He says, no, no, no. We'll sit by the table. I don't need special chairs. All right. The bishop couldn't figure out what could possibly the rabbi want to confess. Rabbi says, go home, I'll be, meet you in an hour. And he comes, an hour later, he comes to the bishop's house. And he tells the bishop the story, this envelope came flying in through the window. I'm afraid if I return it, it'll cause anti-Semitism. Do me a favor. Bishop said, fine, no problem. The bishop returns the money, and Yossel was let free, because he obviously didn't steal it. So it was a big simcha in the shtetl, Yossel is free now. No more trial, no nothing. He came home and his wife says to him, you go straight to the Rav, who returned this money for you, and you apologize to him. She didn't know that the Rav, what the Rav did with the priest and everything else. Kitsa, he comes running to the Rav, and the Rav says, Baruch Matir Asurim, the blessing that's made when someone comes out of prison, praises him who frees the bound. And he's so overwhelmed because this poor innocent fellow And the man says, no, Rebbe, I have to tell you the truth. And he tells him the whole story. As soon as he finished telling him the story, the Galak walks in. The priest walks in. And he says, here's the 500 rubles that the guy that they gave us, the gold rubles. The postal authority gave. The rabbi said, no, 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 you went through all the trouble, you gave it back, you saved me, you keep the money. He says, no, that wouldn't be right. The reward is not mine. I didn't find the money. You take it. And give it to the poor if you want. So the Rav said, listen, you have your choice to who you want to give it to, whatever you want. As they're talking, he says, you know what, here's Yossel Nebuch. Poor Yossel has no parnosa. He's a poor man. He was the victim. He sat in jail for this money. Maybe you should give it to him. The bishop thought it was a great idea. And the bishop gave Yossel the money. And the Rav said, go open up a business with this money. And Yossel went to open a business. And he prospered. And the Oanavi actually gave him a blessing through this money. And he did become a wealthy man. We're going to have to change gears, as we say, to the date, Tu Bishvat. What a beautiful, wondrous day. No carob this year in New York. There was no carob. 
in the fruit stores, in the markets, or anything. Anyone who does happen to have carob, enjoy it. He says, I haven't seen any. But in Florida, they're asking for fruits. Okay. Commonplace question. Tubishvat arrives the holiday of the trees. Beautiful. How do we celebrate the holiday of a tree? One way is to go out and decorate your local tree, put happy birthday tree all over it, bring it a cake. Um, you know, be nice to your trees. On the other hand, what I couldn't imagine would be the right way to celebrate is to eat fruits. I mean, it's such a strange way to celebrate. You're celebrating the tree you're telling the tree how happy you are for him and you're eating his fruits. When it comes to trees, we're not talking about wheat or barley where the lush of the tater is zriya, to plant the tua, which grows in as little as 52 days. We talk about Natiya here, about actually planting a tree. A tree takes a very long time till it develops and gives a fruit. And yet, we are eating fruits from the trees to celebrate the planting of a tree. A fruit that was born from a tree that was planted years and years ago. There's a special lesson to us and to the trees. That although there is much toil, much work that needs to be put into the planting of a tree, the nurturing of a tree, an asterisk is three years, a date is 70 years, Many things that have to nurture a tree that come doesn't doesn't give fruit so easily. And we know the man is compared to the field, to the tree. So when a person wakes up in the morning, a person has to know that every day is for him to now plant and nurture and take the fruits from the trees. As the Zayda says, every day is a new challenge. And the bracha, the blessing that we have from God, is birchas Hashem ta'ashir. We should literally become wealthy from it. This is in reference to trees.
We don't eat cakes or, or bread or pastas. We're talking about fruits, which we make a bain and a The pleasure that we derive from the eating of the fruits. The person was born to toil. And therefore we get the lesson from the tree to teach us, I was, com- I was created to serve my master, or as another way of saying it is, I was not created only because I have to serve the Almighty, it was the only reason I'm created. And therefore we see to it that we need to instill this in others as well. Anyone that hears or sees our talk, our walk, our action, should learn from this and derive from this, that this is how a Jew needs to behave. That when we rise up in the morning, this is how we start our day, this is how we start our life. And each and every day is full of dedication and devotion. And through this, ultimately, we are blessed with true riches. As we see the Vayinatzlu as Mitzrayim, saved from the Egyptians. And on the topic of Adam that the man is compared to the tree of the field, there's a very, very important life lesson to be taught. How we are compared to the tree. Firstly, is the shadish, the roots. The tree's roots hold the tree and nurture the tree. When it comes to a person, the person's roots are his emuna, his belief in God, his faith. Faith does not have room in Seichel, in Tam Vidas. The person's intellect cannot grasp faith. But through this, the person is bound to God with his source and the actual lifestyle. And this gives life to the person as the tree is nurtured from its roots. The emuna to the person also gives to the chokhmah and teremitzis. Then you have the gaze of the actual body of the tree which represents the teremitzis of the Jew. The growth of a tree, it grows year to year, it gets wider and wider, fuller and fuller. And so to a person's mind, actions don't get smaller, but they have to grow. Each and every day a person adds and takes a mitzvah. And he therefore prepares himself and grows with this. And not just in his own, but as he gives off the same way the fruit gives off the tree. Gives to others to nurture others and seeds are taken and planted and other trees grow and other saplings and trees grow. So too the person's teda and mitzvahs need to affect and have an after effect and affect others that they too should grow 
They too should nurture. They too should go on to do what the Almighty wants them to do. And this starts with the first mitzvah of Pruravu. That a Jew has to see to it that another Jew is brought into the world, that another Jew is brought closer. This is the whole basis of the tree. That we see that the fruits that grow from it, and they bring on other trees. This is the lesson of Tubishvat, the Rosh Hashanah of the trees. First things first, the roots, the emuna, and then the thickness of the body, the Teda Mitzvahs, have to be complete. And by seeing too that all this is in one and whole, and it produces other seeds, same way also a person is helps out another Jew, a fellow Jew, and the public to reach to their ultimate goals. And that we should merit to reach to our ultimate goal, which is to bring all the Jews together, that we should all unite together, and we should come together, and we should and this very Shabbos, we should merit to the Geula Hamitas Vashlema Mishtaidei Mashiach Tzidkenu Shabbat Shalom to all. Whoops, wrong button.